0: Barheads, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for gathering us together so faithfully as a family in the unity of the faith. Thank you for reminding us of the truly important things in this life, and that it is important that we revisit our priorities from time to time. Thank you also for giving us your word so that we may grow in the grace truth, and knowledge of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that our hearts remain humble and true, and that as your Spirit convicts us, we obey. We pray for those unable to be with us this morning, and we pray that they know our hearts, our thoughts, and our prayers are with them. We ask that you bless this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls, and may it challenge each of us as we hear your calling upon our lives. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this morning's message title is The Gospel, Salvation in Sanctification, Part 24. For now, we've completed our lengthy review of the Gospel, and it has become the anchor of our studies forevermore. It has become the anchor of our studies forevermore. Meaning, do not shuffle it to the background in your own soul. Do not put a little bow on it. You know, lick the envelope, zip it up and send it in the mail. Or file it away in your filing cabinet. The gospel has to remain as the centerpiece of your life. As if we're Coming together with the Word of God, I mean, there's a reason why it's called, you know, he calls himself the bread of life. We dine on the bread of life. Well, think of a dining atmosphere. We're all around a table even now, right? Consuming the Word of God. And the centerpiece is the gospel in terms of doctrines. And think of it that way. Never let or never lose sight of the gospel ever. One final thought. On the gospel, was this the gospel or a gospel without integrity to the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ is a false gospel. Any presentation of the true gospel must unapologetically impose a relationship between Christ and an individual, not a relationship to academic facts. We don't relate, folks. We know. But we don't relate as human beings to academic facts. We relate to other human beings, of which God became one so that he could relate to us personally. It wasn't by accident. He just didn't, you know, up and decide, hey, I have nothing better to do. I think I'll become a cockroach like those humans. He said, I need to relate to them. I want them to relate to me personally. And that's what he did. Life is about relationships. The Bible describes life through the lens of personal relationships. First and foremost, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. So the premier relationship, if you would, in our lives is through Christ. And he was a person. And we shouldn't Categorize him out or list him and personify him through just doctrines and cold hard facts. So, life is about relationships. Ask yourselves now what's the pinnacle characteristic of personal relationships? What's the pinnacle characteristic of personal relationships? Well, Most would argue, and answer presumably with a single word, love. What's the pinnacle of any relationship? Go to 1 John 4.19. 1 John 4.19. If asked that question, what's the pinnacle characteristic of a personal relationship? 1 John 4.19. Most would argue, and I would certainly agree, it's love. <clears throat> first John four nineteen. We love because that's that Greek word hoti. We love because as a result of he first loved us. Hmm. So when it comes to relationships, as the point on the board suggests, love for a believer begins with Jesus Christ. No one gets to the Father even, except through Him. So the love that's in view in Scripture here, in 1 John, begins with Jesus Christ, which is the God-man that we relate to as a person. It flows through Him, from the Father towards His children. It pours into us by the abundance of grace, And then it overflows. That's that Greek word, parasouo, that we've studied many times in the past. It overflows even into the lives of others. That's why a new convert can't or isn't expected to even be able to show a lot of godly love towards others, at least not in the mature sense of the word. Their cup has to be filled up. And as it fills up, then it overflows. And then other more advanced, more mature deeds, if you would, in the name of love, are performed. So the cup overflows. Pereseouo is that Greek word. And it overflows into the lives of others. Here's an old friend, just a picture of that, if you remember. It's like he's pouring God's love into a cup, and it overflows to others. And that's what Parasauo actually means in the Greek. We'll get back to that in a moment. First, I want to give you McLaren's exposition on First John 4.19, We love because He first loved us. Very simple words, aren't they? We love because He first loved us. Very simple words, but they go down into the depths of God, lifting burdens off the heart of humanity turning duty into delight and changing the aspect of all things. He who knows that God loves him needs little more for blessedness. He who loves God back again offers more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. But it is to be observed that the correct reading of my text, as you will find in the revised version, omits him in the first clause and simply says we love without Specifying the object. That is to say, and that's how it is translated in Europe in the New American too, we love. That is to say, for the moment John's thought is fixed rather on the inward transformation affected from self-regard to love. Remember our how do you know you're filled? Well, you're occupied with Christ rather than self. It's the same idea. That is to say, for the moment John's thought is fixed rather on the inward transformation effected from self-regard to love, than on considering the object on which the love is expended. When the heart is melted, the streams flow wherever there is a channel. The river, as he goes on to show us, parts into two heads, and love to God and love to man are, in their essence and root principle, one thing. So love becomes, I've described this from the pulpit as the sphere of love. Being in the sphere of love. And love can't help what? But express itself. And that's all the same idea. Overflowing and abundance of love. When you're in the sphere of love, all you really want to do is what? Love others. And it's not even an effort. It's not a... It's not, you know, as we've learned, as we've advanced in the concept of what are commands in the Bible. That's God's will. Commands are God's will. It's not an effort. He, in the Word says, my commands are not burdensome. So when he says the first and foremost command is to love God and then love others, these are the two greatest ones. It's not a burden. It's who you are. You're in the sphere of it. It overflows from who you are. It's pouring out of your pores, so to speak. That's the kind of love that God gives us, and that's the kind of love that parasauo overflows into the cups of others. And that's a beautiful thing. Again, first, first John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us, and as McLaren says, very simple words, but so very profound. And again, it's just really that picture that, you know, and that doesn't really do it justice. It's just teaching you what that Greek concept means. And just because I have 1 Thessalonians 4 quoted, just so you know, 1 Thessalonians 4.9 reads this way. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So in context, in 1 Thessalonians, their love was overflowing to one another, and that's what Paul was writing. And it was a beautiful thing to see. Let's spend a moment now amplifying this principle with another passage where it is quite evidenced and also possesses the Greek word paraseouo. Go to 2 Corinthians 9.1. 2 Corinthians 9.1. We'll see this concept uh, among a greater theme, if you would. or You'll see a crescendo happening here. 2 Corinthians 9.1. Paul speaking to a different group now. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 9.1 For it is surplu- uh, super- superfluous. Oh, that's almost like my other one. Unfathomable. <laughs> thank you, Lydia, wherever you are. You sent me a video of someone that couldn't say it either. And I was like, thank you, I'm not alone. Superfluous, for it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Make no mistake about that. That that happened to be in Scott's presentation and in this morning's message. Because they were not, as far as I was concerned, I knew nothing about that. So it's very interesting. That's just God the Holy Spirit sort of giving you a little, you know, Reminder on top of a reminder. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound, there's the Greek word perissouo, abound, overflow to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance, Perissouo again, overflow for every good deed. In other words, he's going to fill your cup And it's going to overflow into the cups of others. And then their cups overflow into the cups of others, and so on and so forth. That's how grace works. Up here on the board, though, we want you to focus on that last phrase for every good deed. So when it overflows, it overflows for what? For every good deed. What's the greatest of all good deeds? All a good deed is when you follow God's command. That's what a good deed is, right? So what's the greatest command? to love so then what's the greatest deed to love (laughs) when your love overflows into the cups of others so what's the greatest of all good deeds this is my commandment that you love one another just as i have loved you the answer is then to love you do all kinds of things like paul says in what first corinthians 13 if i do this and that and that i do all these things but i don't have love i have nothing i have nothing so the greatest deed, of course, is love. It's also the great commandment. Well, if we are conduits of his love, in other words, because he first loved us, we are able to love, 1 John four nineteen. then everything in the Bible is meant to guide us to this end. Dwell on that. Everything in the Bible is meant to guide us to the end, which is love all the commands, all of it. And God the Holy Spirit's ministry is meant to accompany and even empower us to that end as well. So in other words, there's a great direction, the great command, the great marching order, is what? Love. So there's a great direction that all God's uh, children, all the soldiers of Christ, march towards. That's peristemi, right? Right? Pick up your marching orders, a military connotation. That's Romans 12, uh, the early part, 1 through 3. So pick up your marching orders. It's the great marching order of all, the great strategy, not all the little tactics. The great strategy is what? To love. Love God first and then love others. Those are the great commands. So everything in the Bible is meant to guide us to love. And God, the Holy Spirit's ministry, is meant to accompany us to that end also, It's interesting because I didn't see this coming, but the Spirit is bringing up this concept again, probably to shore up or maybe tie up or sew up, however you'd like to look at it, iron out some loose ends in your souls on the concept of the filling of the Holy Spirit. What do you mean He's going to accompany me to love? What does that mean? So on Thursday, we spent a little time on the filling of the spirit. Think of it this way, <clears throat> for starters, and we're looking at that concept of every good deed, that love para overflows for every good deed. Oh, every good deed, the greatest of these is love. And they're all sort of subservient, if you would, of that great law of ours, which is to love. So, filling of the Spirit. Everything the Spirit's going to motivate you to think, say, or do is going to be consistent with love. That's why you don't even necessarily have to have all the little granular details about all the little commands in the Bible. You love. Everything the Spirit's going to motivate you to think, say, or do is going to be consistent with love. Again, verse 8 reads, And God is able to make all grace abound, that's perasu'o, overflow to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance, there it is again, it'll overflow, for every good deed, the greatest is love. Let's finish this passage now for the sake of completing our thoughts. Verse 9. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched. This has everything to do with sanctification, by the way. If you want to be sanctified, if you want to mature in the spiritual life, a huge portion of it, the great thing is to love, and love can't help but what? Give, express. That's a giving. God's grace is often spelled out, defined as an expression of what? His love. That's how grace and love work. So if the great command is love, then the fruit is to reveal grace. And that's how you're going to grow up You sow, and then you reap what you sow. And what does it say here in verse 10? It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply. Think of the uh, parable of the 10 minus two. Who you has, more is given. Do business with my grace, in other words, and I'll give you more. That's what's going on here. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed "...for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God." can't even believe how much work He's doing in you. That's what happens. You can't believe it. How much grace you're seeing. How much He's using you as a conduit of His own love. That's a blessing. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. What a passage. So concentrate. It's time to synthesize a little bit. And if you're too whatever to keep up with the lessons during the week, then you will be a little confused right now. But that's not anyone's fault but your own. There's enough said on that. I need you to synthesize the following key principles. First, the basics God gives us commands. The umbrella command is to love. But there are lots of commands in the Bible. So God gives us commands, the umbrella of which is love. God's Spirit convicts our conscience of right and wrong. We have a free will to obey or disobey said conviction. Okay? That's all Scripture. God gives us commands. God the Spirit convicts our conscience of right and wrong against those commands. And then we have an opportunity with our free will to obey or disobey. That's the process. However, there are different kinds of commands. Not every command is the same. We just looked at love. The greatest is love. Okay. So there are different kinds of commands even. Some commands are general, like the one we just saw about love. But also, you know, walk by the Spirit. What is that? Present active. That means it's a chosen lifestyle. You walk by the Spirit, that's part of a lifestyle choice. Or love one another. That's a lifestyle choice. There may be instances where that love is obviously expressed as grace, But the command to love is an overarching general command. Do you get it? I mean, even if you're having the worst day of your life with your best friend or your spouse, it doesn't mean you don't love them anymore. It means in that moment you're having a tough time even liking them. But the command to love hasn't flown out the window, has it? Because you two might be sinning and calling each other bad things or whatever you do when you fight. But the command, the general command to love is still present. Is that fair? It's always present. Okay, so those might be commands that we call general commands. Some commands are more specific, like don't fornicate or don't lie. You know, little little ones, specific ones like that. These are more isolated. Does that make sense? So there's a whole litany of types of commands in the Bible. Some are more general, some are more specific. But they do this, don't they? They overlap. Right? Just because you did a little no no in the car on your ride to work doesn't mean you stopped loving your spouse or God. Is that fair? No, you just had a little problem. You know, a little failure. So, I'm going to give you an analogy before we get into the meat and potatoes of this lesson here. This is an important lesson, and I believe that it's going to be a very freeing lesson for a lot of people. Pretend you get a phone call about your Uncle Jimmy, who's been laid up in the hospital for months. The voice on the other line says, I'm worried about him dying, and I'm not sure if he's saved. Can you please come and give him the gospel one last time? The Spirit says to you, yes, go give him the gospel. So you obey the conviction and begin the hour-long drive to go see Uncle Jimmy. So you're in the car. Are you filled with the Spirit? Indeed you are, at least as far as that instance of a conviction is concerned. Is that fair? You were convicted by the Spirit. You obeyed. In that sense, you were controlled by the Spirit. Does that sound right? That's what plural O is all about. Okay. However, so you're on an hour-long drive. However, along the way, traffic gets thick, and you sin a few times by sharing (laughs) birdie-speak and or... uh, a few choice words with your fellow drivers. Relative to the, that instance of sinning, were you controlled by the Spirit when you were speaking bird language? No, of course not. So, there you are in the car, doing a good thing, but along the way you have a couple of failures. So someone comes along after you arrive at the hospital and asks you, hey, I'm just curious, While you were driving up here, were you filled with the Spirit? Most of you who have come from a certain, let's call it a doctrinal background, will immediately come back with something witty like, well, I was, except for those times that I sinned along the way. And in your mind, you'll have your spiritual walks during that hour all chopped up into little chunks of filled and not filled moments of time, as if there was no overlap. The challenge to you is simple. Is the original question even a good question? Which was just curious, while you were driving up here, were you filled with the Spirit? Is that even a well-articulated question? given the multitude of commands that are active at any point in time in your life. In all fairness to Scripture, it's a bad question. At least the way it is presented. It's minimally incomplete. So as the Spirit says, either finish the sentence, or ask a better question. Why? Well, Consider what Scripture gives us on the subject. Again, what are the basics? The basics are simple. God gives us commands. God's Spirit convicts us, our conscience, of right and wrong. And then we have the ability to what? Obey or disobey. That's called free will. So those are the basics. Okay? How many commands are there? Lots. How many commands are active in your life at any given time? A lot. There are different kinds of commands. Some commands are general, like walk by the Spirit, or love one another. These are flat-out, general, long-lasting lifestyle issues. Some commands are more specific, like don't fornicate, don't lie, don't don't punch your little brother in the back seat when mom's not looking. Don't steal candy from the bin at the grocery store when no one's looking. You know, don't test out the apples and then put them back at the grocery store when no one's looking. Don't go to the honor line at the grocery store and skip a few barcodes.
1: (laughs) Oh, look at that. I didn't realize.
0: Oh, yeah, it's funny. Look at that. I I forgot the whole six-pack was in the bottom part of my cart. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But, so you walk out. I mean, let's face it. You walk out with a, a cart. And maybe you really did do that ridiculous thing. Does that mean you don't love God? No. But isn't to love God a command? Yeah. Does that mean you don't love your spouse who's right with you? Tag teaming the whole thing? (laughs)
1: Does
0: that mean you don't love them? I don't think so, but that's a command. So, you see, commands are overlapped. So is it a fair question to say, are you as a whole human being filled with the Spirit? Hmm. Think about it. Scripture reveals that the Holy Spirit convicts us against God's commands. Is that fair? Okay. Well then, maybe the right question is, I'm just rephrasing that question that you got in that fictitious example. Just curious, while you were driving up here, which commands, you know, on which topics and decisions, which commands did you obey and which didn't you obey? That's a better question, to be totally honest. Your answer then would rightly be, well, I listened to the Spirit's conviction to drive an hour to give Uncle Jimmy the gospel one last time. My heart never wavered from that reality. So in that instance, I was and still am filled. However, along the way, I failed a few times, and so in those instances, I wasn't filled. Wasn't controlled by the Spirit. Hmm. The point that's being made here is simple, and if you're following it, is very, very freeing. For some of you especially. Filling of the Spirit. When we obey, we are filled. Controlled by the convicting ministry of the Spirit. When we don't, we aren't. However, filling is relative to each application of God's commands in our lives, which may overlap, time-wise. How many commands are you following right now? I don't know. Do you love God? Most of you say, yep. Do you love others? Most of you say, yep. Are you forsaking to assemble together? No, you're here. That's another command. Are you submitting to the authority of this pulpit and the shepherd? Most of you are. There's another command. Those are all things that God the Holy Spirit is controlling you to do. Fair statement? But some of you, during this class, were like, I don't like his face. (laughs) I liked him better when he had his little soul patch on. He looked more otsy. I don't like him. That's not loving, is it? Certainly not nice. You can see that being in the Word of God. I'm just saying, getting all nasty. Or maybe he didn't like Scott. Oh, what's this? <laughs> Look at him. I thought he was an evangelist. What's he up there asking for money for? I don't even like this idea budget. Budget this, buddy. <laughs> right? And they push him down the parking lot. Which, if you do that, I want a video. <laughs> I would put it on YouTube. Get some hits. You see what I'm saying? When we obey a command, you know, listen... Obedience is per command. Remember what the Bible says. Listen, without the law, there wasn't even transgression. So you've got to have commands to obey. But there's lots of commands. Some of them are general, some of them are specific. And they overlap all day long, every day. Is that fair? Yeah. And sometimes you obey, and sometimes you don't. So that broad question that says, are you as a whole human being filled to the Spirit, is a bad question. We'll get there in a second. All my notes just turned into a bunch of line items. I don't know why. Anyways, when we obey, we are filled, controlled by the convicting ministry of the Spirit. When we don't, we aren't. However, filling is relative to each application of God's commands in our lives, which may overlap timelines. So think, as believers, you are always walking in the light. However, it may be brighter or dimmer depending on how much you are filled with the Spirit at any moment in time, which is more of an aggregate of a multitude of instances of obedience. Does that make sense? In other words, you are not either in or out of God's grace or in or out of God's plan for your life. Listen, if you're a believer, guess where you're at? You're in His plan right now and you have the light of the world as a presence in your life. Now, whether or not you obey what the Spirit has to say about the Word, the Logos, which is the Word of God, which is the commands, it's all consistent with the heart of God, well, that's a different story. You may obey Him in some ways, and you may ignore Him in other ways. But you're not in or out of God's plan as a believer. You're not somehow in or out of His grace. As a believer. So, if you are saved, you are always in God's plan, always walking in the light because the light, the Lord God, is always with you. However, due to your own disobedience, which is sin, your experience may be dimmed. So stop assuming that the spiritual life is a light switch. It is not. That is religion 101 at its best. The spiritual life is not a light switch. If it were, then I guess while you continued to drive in love for Uncle Jimmy, while you spoke birdie language, you somehow lost complete love for Uncle Jimmy for that moment of time. doesn't even make sense any sense whatsoever and it's completely inconsistent with the word of god but yet that's how people want to control god and put him in a box and say see it's a light switch i'm in i mean i mean no i mean no I'm in. and they make thirty-three thousand decisions a day that's a statistical fact well how many times are you going to consider that thing oh my god am i in a <laughs> talk about a source of frustration talk about bondage But that's what religion is at its very core. It's bondage. So, friendly reminder, if you are saved, then you are always in God's plan. Always walking in the light because the light, the Lord God, is always with you. However, due to your own disobedience, which would be sin, your experience may be dimmed. And that's just an experiential statement. So stop assuming that the spiritual life is a light switch, as if you're somehow ejected from the light when you sin. So let me do this. You know, I like graphics, and some of you are very visual. The command to be filled. Filling means following a command. Okay? You have commands. You have a good conscience. God the Holy Spirit says, make a decision. Is that fair? Those are the basics. I give you commands, I gave you a conscience that I will convict with my Holy Spirit, right or wrong, against that command, given the circumstances, and you can choose, free will, to obey or disobey. Fair enough? Okay. So when you disobey, you're not filled. When you obey, you're filled. Okay. As I said, I'm just giving you four example commands, just to drive this point home. Going from more general to more specific. The first is, love God. Well, and don't hyper-analyze this. Take the general statement that he's making. As an unbeliever, you really don't love God. But with a regenerate, born-again heart, you do love God. Is that fair? And that's the greatest command of all. Love God. It is a command. And let's just say that from then on, a believer's heart has changed and therefore they love God. Okay? Okay, as we go down, there's another command in the Bible. I just chose four that just got more specific. Reject idolatry. Well, maybe for a while you idolize self. And then you realize, well, that's no good. Now, I, Jesus Christ to me is the only celebrity in the universe. But then maybe, again, you have another idol problem somewhere in your life that might take a little time to get over. And so you start idolizing another person. And then maybe you recover and so on. Do you get it? Sometimes you have an idol, and they're idol for a little while, and then you get rid of it, you get over it, whatever. Okay? But that's going on at the same time, by the way. There's a command to love God. There's a command to not idol- reject idolatry. There's also a command, do not covet. Well, maybe for a good period of time in your life, you're totally content. But then you have a a bad year or something or a bad couple of months. So you have a covet one thing, you covet one thing, then you covet another thing. But then maybe you recover, you don't covet anymore. God, the Holy Spirit says, hey, wake up, dummy. You shouldn't be coveting. There's no reason for you to covet. I made you the way I made you on purpose. I love you. You have a purpose, blah, blah, blah. Is that fair? Okay, that also is going on at the same time. Because, you know, nobody's, uh, what? Uh, how would you say it, mono um, or uni-dynamic. Everybody's got multiple things going on in their life, amen? Okay, so therefore you have multiple commands that you know, and you have to listen to, you have to obey, disobey. Some are more general, some are more specific. Okay, don't steal. How about that one? So you work for your own bread for a, quite a long time, but then you say, ah, time's getting tight, you know, Government doesn't need my money, I'm just gonna cheat. <laughs> I didn't make that. Those were tips. I don't have to. So you cheat on your taxes for a little while, and then he convicts you and says, Hey dummy, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Jesus said that. So you go, alright, 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 and you recover and you move on. Okay, and maybe you do that a few times, you know, I don't know. But listen, all these things are going on simultaneously. All these commands are happening simultaneously in your life. And God, the Holy Spirit, convicts you against each command. Is that fair? Of course it is. Okay, so then we ask the the, the question. We take a slice of time. One moment in time in your life or mine. And someone says, am I filled? Well, is that a fair question? Because it seems to me, in some ways I am, in some ways I'm not. In some ways, I'm obeying. In some ways, I'm blatantly disobeying. So is that a fair or complete question? I'm going to leave that up to you. The principle is simple. You may be simultaneously obeying one command, but not another. And if filling of the Holy Spirit means to obey commands, then in one sense, you're filled or controlled by the Spirit in that part of your life, or that instance, and in another sense, you're blatantly not filled, or controlled by the Spirit. So is that even a fair question? You decide. A bad question. The long-standing question, am I filled, is a bad question by itself. The better question to be asking yourselves is, which of God's commands am I obeying, and which am I not? Which ones am I obeying and which which ones am I not? Instead of being all hyper-worried about, oh my word, is God, are my prayers bouncing off the ceiling? Have I ejected myself from the light? Is it completely dark right now? Do you love God? I do. Do you love others? Yeah. Are there commands that you're obeying right now? Yeah. Are there some that you're not? Yep. So maybe the better question is to ask yourselves is, which commands am I obeying and which am I not? The right perspective. To the degree that you are obeying the one command, you are filled, and likewise to the degree you are disobeying another command, you are not filled. These instances overlap in life, though. But see, religion wants to control it all. Give me protocol, give me religion. So concentrate. There is great freedom here for some of you still walking around all day paranoid of whether or not you're filled with the Spirit. There shouldn't, there's no paranoia. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. There's no paranoia. God doesn't want paranoia for you. He doesn't want you on some religious treadmill either. He doesn't want you worried about whether or not God the Holy Spirit and his ministry is with you or not. He's always with you. Heck, was he not even with you when you were an unbeliever? But somehow you can do something so heinous that you can reject him as a believer? That's ridiculousness. It has everything to do with sanctification, so we're not revisiting some old dead horse that we've beaten. This is about you taking what we just learned in 20-something lessons of the gospel proper, and now you're learning about what sanctification proper looks like. What the right perspective about being sanctified is, with the gospel as the core. So some of you might still be a slave to thinking that God somehow disengages with you because you're not, quote, filled or controlled or obedient in one area of your life. Who the heck is obedient in every area of life? Anybody want to be bold enough to raise their hand right now? No, seriously. Is there not something you are doing right now in your life? Is there not some lifestyle choice that you've made that's garbage? Fair enough. is the only one. Mm-hmm. Heathen. Right? Obviously, because no one else. Everybody's perfect. Right? Is there not something that you're disobeying? right now is it not something you probably will go home and do that's in direct disobedience to his will for your life so in that sense maybe the better question is well since i'm disobeying god the holy spirit and his conviction ministry on my good conscience relative to that command in that sense i'm not controlled by him because he would never control me to do that sin but over here i'm perfectly fine I just picked up the phone, told my mom I loved her, made her day. Well, I do that all the time. My mother's like, yeah, whatever. It's like, do you, you have something to get to here? Because I'm busy. I'm playing bingo online. Oh, she doesn't do that, But you know what I'm saying, right? You do something simultaneously. You know? You go to work every day. Your attitude about it is good. I'm doing it as under the Lord. Is that not a command? You bet. I eat my own bread. Is that not a command? You bet. So when it comes to the filling of the Spirit in that area of your life, are you controlled by Him? Yes, you are, because you're following His commands. Just because you have some little mental attitude sin, does that eject you from His plan somehow? Somehow you as a whole human being are now alienated to God? Come on. We would never be in His plan under those conditions. It's foolishness. Anyways, that's not what Scripture reveals at all. I want to show you an instance. Consider Ananias, for example. Go to Acts 5.1. Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they were believers. So we have to assume, being in that little congregation that they were, there were some things that they were doing right, right? Their heart had been changed. We're assuming they probably loved God. I mean, they did end up selling some land. They did get kind of there there was some things going right with their lives not fair to say like job's wife just because she has a bad day and tells him to curse god and die doesn't mean that she's forever a horrendous individual do you understand we don't get to make those aspersions or cast those whole person aspersions because someone fails in a certain instance now unlucky for ananias and his wife they failed and they became examples but that's not the point the Spirit's making. They failed in a specific area. Look, Acts 5.1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. Now, (laughs) relative to Scott's presentation, that's probably half of you. (laughs) Oh, we're broke. Can't afford to give any more got to keep my iPhone 6 updated. I'm on the early release schedule for iPhone 13. Got to have my 62 gig data plan, or else I can't watch YouTube videos at midnight in bed. Oh, it's getting quiet. It's getting quiet, I see. Oh, oh, oh. Need new white walls for my old 57 Chevy cuz they're getting cracked, you know. I forgot to Armor all them, or whatever the heck people do. Is that a little better for the old people? They're like, <laughs> getting closer. Okay, your buggy. Your <laughs> <laughs> brooch, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To what? To lie to the Holy Spirit. Why? With one thing. And to keep back some of the price of the land. Now, did he say that Ananias, you're a complete waste of skin? No. He said, why has Satan, that's the Greek word plurou, by the way, the same word that says be filled with the Spirit. Just saying. Why has Satan filled your heart to do this thing? Why have you lied to the Spirit? Why have you disobeyed this command, in other words? Did he say anything about the rest of his life? No. He said, why did he fill your heart to do this wrong against God the Holy Spirit? Do you get the scene? Is it fair to say that Ananias was wrong and disobedient in every other aspect of his life? No. No, it's not. So Ananias, why has Satan filled controlled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? This is more specifics. And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? This deed, that's a singular word, by the way, filled against a certain command, a certain deed, was the Rotten fruit of the sin, you have not lied to men but to God. Does that mean he's a liar? No. Does that mean God stopped listening to him? No. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who, fear, who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter responded to her. Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. So now she's faced. Do I obey and tell truth, or do I disobey and lie, like my husband? Yes, that was the price. Failure. God the Holy Spirit would never fill a person to do that thing, but Satan would, as it was with her husband. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold the feet of those who have Buried your husband, are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church. That was the example. And over all who heard of these things. I mean, think about if God decided to do that with everybody who held back a little bit of their income, we'd all be dead. (laughs) Right? We'd all be dead. We'd all be out there buried. Assuming any of us were here to to bury us. (laughs) Which probably wouldn't happen. So, anyways. So some of you by now might be asking, why are we going over the filling of the Spirit again? Hasn't this horse been beaten enough? To you, I say, be very careful how you tread. Up here on the board. If your conception of the filling of the Holy Spirit is perverted, even in the least bit, then your understanding of the fundamental doctrine of sanctification will be proportionally perverted. Again, if your conception of the filling of the Holy Spirit is perverted, even in the least bit, then your understanding of the fundamental doctrine of sanctification, which is where we're at in our studies, will be proportionally perverted i mean how am i going to teach you sanctification if you think you're flipping in and out of the plan 52,000 times a day and i got an anxious soul that doesn't understand how the grace of god works relative to the controlling ministry of god the holy spirit against specific commands how am i going to teach you that after the magnificence of the gospel teachings In a practical sense, if you continue to think that the spiritual life is this ongoing flip-flop of being in and out of God's plan as a holistic consideration, in other words, the whole human being is in and out of God's plan somehow, then it'll be impossible for me to teach you the full truth about sanctification. You'll be utterly stuck asking that bad question, am I filled right now or not? You may not realize it now, but this is one of the key reasons the Spirit had us revisit the gospel. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, folks. A perverted gospel demands a perverted sanctification. I need you to dwell on that. A perverted gospel... Look, you don't just get to pervert the gospel and then expect there to be no ripple effect. If you're honest about a perverted theology even, and you need to at least look at all the scripture and put it somewhere, what happens is a perverted gospel demands a perverted sanctification. If you leave all kinds of loose ends out, in other words, where do you put them afterwards? Got to put them somewhere. So I'll create false doctrines. I'll create little cubby holes of garbage and I'll put people right back into bondage. Or you can get the gospel right, like we just did. Dig into it deep, really deep. Get it all right. Get it all ironed out. And then see what happens with all that scripture that had no place in your soul. The ones that used to irritate you. You'd read it and be like, that do not make any sense. Why does it not make sense? Maybe I'm just not filled. That was a joke. Nobody got it. Maybe I, maybe I can't understand because I'm not filled. Oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? Hey, you listen, you're doing a lot of things that are not the will of God right now. Okay, that's Joey and Andrea, so something's going on. <laughs> Saying, what are you two doing? Right? Everybody's doing a lot of things that are inconsistent with the will of God. Is that fair at any given point in time? Is that not fair? Are we not scheming our little disgusting flesh? Are we not justifying something ungodly in our lives? Are we not making excuses? Are we not doing this? Are we not doing that? Almost consistently? Well, thank God that's not the criteria for the spiritual life. Thank God I can fail in some areas of my life and succeed in others and still be encouraged by the grace of God. Thank God. Otherwise, I'm a religious, bound up, uneasy, anxious individual. That doesn't sound anything like God's love. Amen? And we love, we're in the sphere of love because he first loved us. Satan wants nothing more than for you to go right back to religion after you're saved. Saved, boom, go right back to religion. So a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A perverted gospel demands a perverted sanctification. I know that's a theological statement, but that's my life. That's what I have to deal with. That's what he's been showing me in scripture. It's like, look, you get the gospel wrong, nothing else fits. That's how you end up with garbage doctrines that put people right back into bondage, even after they're saved. A perverted gospel demands a perverted sanctification. In other words, if a core doctrine is, quote, off, The ripple effect is felt, quote, throughout the body of doctrines that build upon it. It's the way it goes. In many of our cases, we've backed into the proper gospel. I think that's about enough for all of you to think about for now. Um, But before we prepare for the Lord's Supper, go to this following passage and make it fresh in your hearts. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. 1 Thessalonians 5:16 and you tell me which viewpoint is consistent with this 1 Thessalonians 5:16 1 Thessalonians 5:16 What does it say there? Rejoice. How often? Huh. Well, that's an interesting thing. Given that you're a sinner. You're always sinning. You're always something you're doing that's messy or screwed up or inconsistent with God's plan. Unless you're arrogant like the Pharisees. Oh, no, I got it all nailed. Just tell me what I need to do to go get eternal life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Kind of hard if you think God don't listen to you. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that is one sentence, folks. His will. He doesn't... He listen sent his son to die oh i'm gonna cry Hmm. how do you not rejoice in light of the gospel he sent his son to die for you so that what you could go right back to religion and be insecure about your life after salvation you've already won you're already won you're on the victorious team it's done you're sanctified you will be sanctified so rejoice, always. You're going to mess up. You're going to sin. Okay, have a contrite heart. God loves it, because that will take you right back to him. Confess the sin. Admit it. And you go back right back to God. But he already knew you are going to sin. Does he doesn't want you to think that you're you know, on planet Mars all of a sudden because you had one sin, when he knows full well that you love him, you love others, and you love Uncle Jimmy, and you're doing that thing. You just didn't love the guy next to you in the car, for a moment. But that's who you are. Embrace it. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. That is a privilege, by the way. The more I live, the more I realize. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, ushers, come forward, please. we say? What do you say? So he died for us? Hung on a cross when he could have crawled off it at any point? Suffered a fate that none of us are going to suffer, so we didn't have to. Separation from God. What else is there to say but thank you? Is that not sufficient to rejoice always? to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in everything? Do you really think that because you've sinned and you're going to continue to sin that he wants you to be anywhere but in his breast, on his breast, leaning up against him all day, every day, saying, thank you, Lord? And it's in that scenario, in that reality, that love that you'll want to follow his commands? religion is for fools and he freed us it was for freedom that he set us free he says for no longer to be bond slaves to sin for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in remembrance of the person of Jesus Christ let's eat the bread In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of his work. You get the lights, folks. Oh, yeah. thank you again for this morning's message for such a wonderfully freeing lesson for continuing to remind us of the truly important things in this life and for saving us as your apostle said for I'm not ashamed of the gospel I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. May we share in Paul's sentiments, knowing that the victory through your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has been won already. May you bless all traveling from this local assembly. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.